All right, you can be seated all over the house. Last week, uh, we started this season of the series, The Waiting Room, and I confessed how much I hate waiting. Um, and then as I was launching this series, and this always happens, this is the huge, massive downside of preaching because I feel like you do a series and then you experience whatever it is you're talking about, just like Jesus going, are you legit? Um, so I'm in, and, and this example is going to be really lame, but this is how badly I hate waiting. Like we're in a pizza place and the girl comes last weekend and she gets our order and she doesn't write anything down, which I thought that's cool, um, until she came back five other times to ask um, what our order was. So I'm like, well, maybe we should go to a notepad and pen for a little while. Um, and then we're at a pizza place and she forgets to put in the order for the pizza. So we get everything else but the pizza. And here's the thing. When we have three toddlers, three under five, is there is a limited window with them. And we know that there's going to come a point where they will combust. And everything will go nuts. And it's not going to be just hell for us. Everybody in the restaurant is going to suffer um, if you do not get our order out on time. And so uh, anyway, I'm not going to name that establishment. But it like, was just that thing where the angst rises up again to go, I'm terrible at waiting. I can't wait for a freaking pizza um, without going off the rails. And so last week we asked the question, how do you handle waiting? But more importantly than that, because this tension that we feel over waiting kind of transfers even into our relationship with God. I don't think that's a stretch. So how do you handle waiting on God? And here's what I mean, and here's what we talked about. You can go back and listen to it. When you are in a waiting season, you're in the waiting room of your life, and there's really no way to move forward. There's nothing you can do to fix it. There's no decision you can walk out here today and you do it, and it's going to take care of whatever's happening. You just you don't have that ability or option. You're in a place right now where it may not get better. It's an unresolvable tension, or at least it feels like it maybe at this point in your relationship. And you have no good options. Like all of your options right now are bad. And so you're really just waiting. Maybe it's in a marriage and you feel like you've done all you can do and things are not changing. And so now you're at the place where, I, like, I want to be responsible, but I'm just waiting. And I don't know if he's going to change or I don't know if she's going to change. Or you're in a place right now where you're 15 and you're not going to be able to leave home until you're 18 and things are bad at home. And all you can do is wait. Or you're in a place right now where you've experienced hurt and a lot of us have had this and you're looking forward to the future and it's hard to even think of a time where you're not going to feel that hurt anymore. Like, is there ever going to be healing for me? Or maybe you're in a place where you have a financial dream that's dying. You have maybe an educational dream that's dying. It's not going to come to fruition. And again, there's no decision that you can make that's going to repair that or it's going to undo that. Maybe you're, you're in a health issue and you're waiting for the treatment to work. You're waiting for something to get better, but nothing is getting better. And again, you've tried the treatments. There's just nothing you can do right now. You're just waiting. And again, all of your options are bad. Like you're in a season right now where your options are self-medicate, drink too much. That's not going to end well. Like you're in a season right now where your options are to run. You just quit. You walk out. That's not going to end well. You're in a season where you could just move to a place to be overridden by anxiety, overridden by fear, overridden by anger, maybe at God. Or, and this is what we generally are tempted to do, is get in those seasons and we start looking at everybody else. And things are going bad for me. God's not answering my prayer, but everything seems to be working for them. And everybody else's successes are exaggerated and all of our failures are kind of heightened. But we're just in a place where there are no good options. And here's the dangerous part of the waiting room. And here's what we said last week is this can be the season where you're just tempted to walk away from God. 
you're tempted to just allow yourself to be driven into some place where you're angry and anxiety-ridden. Or maybe you've come to a place where you can't reconcile your experience with your expectations, so you've decided there is no God, and you just have walked away from faith. But it can be an incredibly dangerous season because in the season of waiting, we tend to be tempted to draw some really bad conclusions or assumptions specifically about God. And we said this last week, like maybe God's uncertain because I feel uncertain right now. Or we start to believe that maybe God is inactive because we have an idea of what God's activity looks like. It should be maybe less chaos and not more. And so because we don't see God's hand in our circumstances, we kind of conclude that he's just not doing anything. Or we've come to the conclusion God's angry because we think it's all a quid pro quo system. It's one to one. And because things aren't going well for me, somehow God is angry with me or God just feels forgetful. Like you pray long enough, come on, you pray long enough for something and it just seems like your prayers are bouncing back at you. Even if theologically you can reconcile this, it feels like God has forgotten. And you just start to draw some really bad assumptions about God. And then for some of us, we start to draw some really bad assumptions about us. Things like I'm never in this season, I'm never going to experience peace again. Like, I peaked in high school, it's going downhill, I don't think it's going to get any better, and I just can't see a day where, where I'm going to be restored, where I'm going to find peace where I'm at. Or you come to the conclusion that God can't produce anything good in this, and don't give me a lame Bible story. Like, there, you're in a place where I cannot see anything beneficial coming out of this. Or you draw conclusions about you that it's just pointless to keep trying, because you've done everything you can in the marriage You've tried to remain faithful and do, what it's, do what's right in this season of waiting, and it doesn't seem like God even knows. It doesn't even seem like you're getting rewarded for it. It almost seems like you're getting punished. And so, come on, if I'm going to suffer either way, why should I try to re- maintain my integrity in this season? Because it just feels pointless to keep on trying. And that's where a lot of us are at. And that's what a lot of us experience when we are in that waiting season of life. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if this is helpful, but it's helpful for me. Here's maybe the thing to grab onto when you're in the midst of those seasons and you're tempted to draw some bad conclusions. And the, the thing that helps me is this. As you look at the scripture, not just New Testament, Old Testament all the way up. As you look at the scripture, that, that those that, that were used in an incredible way by God, every single one of them experienced this tension and this dynamic. Every single one of them experienced waiting. Every single one of them experienced adversity. All of them had seasons where they felt like God was inactive, God was silent, God was forgetful. Maybe even God was angry. In fact, unlike Westerners, because we are so accustomed, if we're just to be honest, having things go our way in a lot of ways, especially when you compare to other parts of the world. Unlike Westerners, those in the first century, first century followers of Christ, they never really felt a tension between a good God and seasons of waiting. They never really felt a tension between, yeah, there's a good God, but also I'm in a season where it is very difficult and there's a lot of adversity. It was very easy for them to reconcile those two things because it was just as uncomfortable as it is, kind of part of following God in a sin-infested world. Like, think about this. The whole scripture is about waiting. All of the heroes that you hold up Heroes of faith, if you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you grew up in Sunday school and you walked away, all of them, their stories were born out of unbelievable adversity, unbelievable waiting. God comes to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to do something incredible through your life. It's going to bless the world. Your wife is going to have a baby. And then the scripture says, literal translation, she's as old as dirt. Like she's getting to the place where she's not going to have kids anymore. And then 
And then God shows up, and she has a baby, and then Abraham dies before he really sees the promise fulfilled. God comes to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm going to use your life in a significant way. 80 years later, Moses is a geriatric. He's been out in the field doing nothing. Nobody knows him. And then God shows up after 80 years and says, I'm going to do something significant through your life. John the Baptist that we looked at last week, sitting in prison. It's the whole story of Jesus. Jesus, 30 years of building tables as a common carpenter, and nobody knows him. Nobody knows his name. And unlike other craftsmen in the first century, none of his stuff survived. Like We don't know one thing that Jesus made. He was like the equivalent of Ikea manufacturer in Jerusalem in the first century. Not a single piece of furniture survived. 30 years Jesus is waiting. 30 years. And then think about this. The whole Jesus coming to planet Earth comes after 400 years of waiting. Like the last prophet speaks in the Old Testament, the last miracle happens. I mean, come on, man. The last thing where God seems active and 400 years later, there's this promise of a Messiah. There's this promise that God's going to send someone. And generation after generation have people who walk away, think that God's forgotten, think that God's not going to come through. And then after 400 years, Jesus touches down to the dusty roads of Bethlehem after 400 years of waiting. And come on, think about this. Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, this is the epicenter of our hope. Right now, we are in a season where our hope is tied to this whole idea and whole reality of waiting. Romans 8 says that the whole earth groans and waits for redemption. Like even the earth itself knows this is not how it should be. This is not how this was created to be. This is not how it should go down. And in fact, Paul writes this in Hebrews, he says this, this incredible hope. He said, for in just a very little while, like it doesn't feel like it. It's been a couple thousand years. We're waiting for Jesus' return. We're waiting for redemption, not just in terms of earth, but in terms of our physical bodies. But it's been a while. In fact, Peter predicted that there would be a bunch of people who would stop believing and just go, it's nonsense. It's been 2,000 years. It's not going to happen. So if you're a skeptical guy, Peter predicted you. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay, meaning that is the epicenter of our hope, that one day Jesus is going to come back in a thunderous return, revelations with a tattoo on his side. He is going to handle all of injustice. He's going to handle all wrong. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to usher in, by the way, your views of heaven are off, a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to redeem our bodies. He's going to set us back to the place of Genesis chapter 1 that we were actually created for, and he's going to fulfill every single promise. And when he decides it's time, it's going to be time. And so our whole hope is rooted in come Lord Jesus. And one day he's going to come. It's our entire hope, but it's all tied around waiting. It's from the very first part of the scripture to the last. It's kind of the story. And so in the middle of all of that, there's one other hero that exemplifies this and has something to teach us in the waiting season, maybe more than anybody else in all of the scriptures, a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul experienced waiting and adversity, if you know any of his story, in an extreme way. And it's honestly his story that really gives weight to anything he says, because otherwise I don't think I'd believe it. But Paul sits down and he's experienced this and says, I just want you to know you'll have difficulty believe it on the front end, but there is a way in the midst of your out-of-control circumstances or your waiting or your adversity, there is a way to find contentment in that. And here's the thing, here's, here's contentment defined. Contentment is 
I have peace on the inside when everything is hitting the fan on the outside. Contentment is I have found a way to not be driven into anxiety even though I have no control or certainty about anything that's happening externally. And Paul says, in Christ, there is a way to find that. And you may walk out today, in fact, you will walk out today, and nothing's going to change about your circumstances, and you're still waiting, and you don't know when the waiting will end or if the waiting will end. And Paul says, you can find contentment even there. So I don't know if you know Paul's story. Paul is a guy who was incredibly ambitious, studied under kind of Ivy League in the first century or the equivalent of Gamil. He was highly regarded. He tried to stamp out Christianity and end the Jesus movement. He was very successful and um, oversaw the death of Christians. And all of a sudden, there's this miraculous conversion. And Paul comes to believe in the very movement that he's trying to stamp out and becomes a follower of Jesus. And for 15 years, this is missed in the scripture, 15 years he waits before he starts any ministry. And he learns from all of these guys who are close to Jesus. And then he begins his ministry and becomes the greatest church planner the world has ever known. And then 10 years into his ministry, inexplicably, he is, he is arrested and he is put into a Roman prison, basically under house arrest, under Nero. Like you, probably all of you know enough history to know if you're a Christian in the first century under Nero in prison in Rome, it's not going to end well. Like Nero would create shish kebabs out of Christians. He would line them along his drive, light them on fire. I mean, it was extreme. And here's what's crazy. At this point in Paul's life, sitting in prison, chained up, it looks like Jesus has lost and Rome has won. And Jesus has lost, and Nero has won. And Paul, there's nowhere to go. He knows he's probably going to die in prison. He has no good options. And there he is in Rome, under Nero, in a prison. There is nothing meaningful he can do, or you would think. And he just begins to write letters because he has no other options to do anything else. And little did Paul know, there's no way he could have known this, that those letters that he's writing in prison because he doesn't have any other options become the most widely read and circulated literature in all of history. And in fact, he writes these, they're called the prison epistles. He writes a letter to a church in Ephesus, a church in Philippi, a, a church in Colossae, and to Philemon. And he writes all of these, again, sitting in a prison, chained up. And he, again, he's just doing it because there's nothing else to do. And yet he has no clue that as he's writing letters, that these letters are going to change Western culture. He has no idea that he's going to turn upside down the view of God in the first century that would carry all the way to today. He has no idea that he is going to completely reorient the Gentiles' idea of what it means to approach God and have a relationship with God. And he's writing these letters in Rome under Nero because there's nothing else to do. And he has no idea that he is undermining the Roman Empire. And that because of him, without raising a sword or assembling the army, it is going to overthrow the most powerful kingdom in the world. And he has no idea. I mean, there he is, and un other than Jesus, he is the most influential person in the spread of Christianity and church planting all over the globe and all over the world. He's the most influential person until the printing press comes along in 1450, Gutenberg's printing press. And what is the first thing that he prints? A Bible. 
with the letters that Paul wrote in prison under Nero. Like there is no way that he could have known what God was going to do and how God was going to use that season when there was nothing else that he could do. But there he is. And those letters in that space changed the world. It is absolutely unbelievable to me. It's obviously not unbelievable to you, but that is unbelievable. Like, listen, he wrote things like this. Come on, ladies. To the Ephesian church, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. I am changing the game from this male-dominated culture, and I am going to turn relationships and what it means to follow Jesus in relationships upside down. It's going to be a relationship of mutual submission and husband. I want you to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave up his life for the church. And there's Paul writing it in a prison, and he has no idea. And what are the odds? Like, what are the odds that any of those letters, I'll move on in a second, but this is so crazy. And what are the odds that those letters would survive Rome? What are the odds that those letters would make it out of prison? <laughs> what are the odds that those letters would survive Nero and become the most widely circulated and read literature in all of human history? Paul had no idea what hung in the balance. And you know what hung in the balance? We did. The church did. This movement that God was in many ways going to produce through him is what hung in the balance. And the reason that Paul accomplished so much, the reason we're still talking about him over and over and over again, all that he did was born out of a season of waiting and adversity when he had nothing better to do and he had no idea what God was going to do through it. You have no idea. You have no idea. What hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful when everything in your circumstances mitigate against it in the season of waiting? You have no idea. You have no idea what ultimately hangs in the balance for you, but it is in, and this is so uncomfortable, it is in the context of waiting and adversity that generally God does his greatest work. And he is not inactive, and he is not silent. And he is not angry because he nailed that to a cross and he has not forgotten. So here Paul is and he's writing this letter. And I specifically want to focus on this letter that he wrote to Philippi while he's in prison. Say it one more time, under Nero in Rome. And here's what, one more thing. Here's what's so incredible. There he is chained in this prison writing this letter to the Philippian church and I don't know if you've ever read this letter. You can go back and do this. The whole letter is about freedom. Paul starts the letter talking about freedom from fear. He's like, I'm in prison, but you don't have to be afraid. He talks about freedom from um, his feelings and emotions that you do not have to live your life riding that wave because your feelings and emotions are going to betray you. He talks about freedom from pride. And then he gets to the very last part of this letter and he talks about freedom from your circumstances, your adversity, your waiting seasons controlling you. So there Paul is shackled, can barely move, and he's writing about freedom to the churches that he was communicating with and that ultimately most of them he planted. And here's the thing real quick for free, is that many times in a waiting season or an adverse season, God will ask you to exemplify something that is completely contradictory to what you feel. Because you have no idea what God's doing. And so so Paul gets to the end of the Philippian letter, and this is like the, oh, yeah, and I forgot one more thing, P.S. And he writes this, and there's just four verses, but I want to chop these up pretty aggressively for the next couple 
minutes, but he, he writes this, and this, this is so powerful for us if we're in this season. Here's what he says, Philippians 4, 10. You can check it out on your app, go to media, and then sermon resources. You can look at your Bible if you have one, um, or you can see it on the screen. Are you guys still with me? There we go. More of that. There we go. All right. You guys are coming. You guys are coming. I rejoice greatly. Pause. I'm not, I got to get through this text, but just pause for one second. Like if, if there's a movie and somebody's producing a movie, there's somebody who always has the final decision of what's going to be in the final cut. And Paul's like, listen, I know that I'm in prison. You know the backstory. You know that I'm chained right now. You know I have no good options. And I rejoice greatly because I have the final cut of what I am going to allow to define and dominate my thinking. And even right now, even right now, I have the ability to rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last, meaning about time, I'll explain that in a second, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, he's writing to the Philippian church, indeed you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Let me just real quick explain this. He's writing to this church where he's good friends with these people. He's helped them. They benefited from Paul's ministry. And Paul's in prison. He needs help. They hear about it, but he's not getting any help. He's basically waiting for a care package and nothing is coming. And Paul's like, okay, finally... You guys sent something and helped me out, but here's what you need to know about me, and here's the implications, is that I knew as I was sitting here waiting for you, not knowing why you weren't intervening, I could have moved to a place where I was just having imaginary conversations, I started to take shots at you, I started to think, how ungrateful are these people, but I didn't go there because I knew I had two choices. I would either resent or I would find a way to be content. And so I decided to not allow that to have control over my thoughts, my feelings. I, I allowed it to not move me to a place where I started making assumptions about God. And now finally your help has showed up. How do you interpret the silence? So there Paul is, and he uses this as a launching pad to have this discussion as he finally gets help from the Philippian church that he's waited for for a long time. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Like, I have needs, but I have not been driven into anxiety, which you would think I would. I'm in prison. See, guys, like, Philippi, thank you. Like, I don't want you to think I'm ungrateful. Like, thank you for what you sent. Thank you for the gifts. But I, I don't know how to say this. I was going to be good either way. I was going to be all right either way. Because I have learned some things in other seasons, and I've learned some things about the waiting, and I've learned how to prepare myself for those inevitable seasons, and so I wouldn't choose this, but I just know I'm going to be good whether you come through or not. Like, can I just ask you this question, and don't lie, because I feel like everybody at 9 a.m. lied when I asked this question. So have you, ever, have you ever been invited to go eat at somebody's house, and you're not sure about their culinary capability? Like, you don't know how good they're going to cook and you pre-eat before you get there? <laughs> Come on, get your hands up. Again, if the percentage is much higher than that. I think you guys are lying. <laughs> so I've done that a few times. And it's no disrespect. I just don't know how it's going to end. And I don't want to... It's for everybody's benefit. But you just pre-eat. Paul's like, and I, I pre-ate. Like, there's some things that I've done that have prepared the way for where I'm at now. So thank you guys for coming through. I was going to be good either way. And then he says, for this reason, I've learned. Meaning it's not natural. It's not intuitive. 
you are not going to come to this on your own. For I have learned to be, what's the word? One more time, loud. I've learned to be content for me, or I've learned to be content, where am I at? I've learned to be content, and this is so powerful, these couple words, in whatever, in whatever, in whatever the circumstances. And here's the thing, as as I'm reading this, I think, like, I want that. Because what Paul's saying is, like, I have found a way to be okay when everything on the outside is out of control and hitting the fan. There's no certainty. I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if they're going to come through. I don't know if they're going to say yes. I don't know if it's going to get better. I'm just waiting, and I'm hoping, and I'm praying, but I don't know. But I found a, be, a way to be okay even in the midst of that. Like, I've found a way to be content even there. And I'm not unambitious. I'm not a guy who's faithful. Like, I'll do everything that I can do, but I'm in prison. I'm chained. There's nothing I can do. So I'm just telling you in whatever circumstance you're in, it is possible to find contentment there. It is possible to not be driven by anxiety and fear and self-medicate and drive yourself crazy because you want to be in control, but you're not in control. There is a way to move around that and find peace and find contentment even when the circumstances don't change. And you don't know if they're going to change. And again, he's not advocating fatalism or apathy. Paul is the most ambitious person on the planet at this point. But he's just saying, listen, there is a way to be free from your circumstances. And then he says this, and I don't want to spend too much time on these, these two lines, but this is so powerful to unpack. Verse 12, because I know what it is to be in need. Pause just for a second. Before you go, well, you're highly educated, you are wealthy, Paul's like, just I lost it all. Right now, you read down a few more verses. When he started his ministry, not a single church helped him. He didn't take um, any salary because he was afraid of what was going to happen because there was such a, a delicate kind of balance there with everybody. So he was a nomad tent maker. He lost all of his influence, all of his friends. He had baggage that he's carrying because of what he did to Christians. So he's like, listen, I just want you to know I lost it all. I know what it is to be in need. And before you move on too quick, because every time I've heard these read, it's just like, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in want. You need to feel the emotion. Paul's going, I know what it is to be waiting. And I know what it is to be in a place of adversity. And I know what it is to be in a prison and have no way out. Like, I know. And come on, real quick, I just want to say this. Is that you need to never, ever, ever downplay your disappointment. Like what you see throughout the scripture is that you can be content and you can be disappointed at the exact same time. And in fact, with what God wants to do in your life, listen, we've said this so many times, but honesty is the way forward. And if you can never be honest about where you are and be honest about what God already knows, you're never going to find healing. You're never going to move forward. And so listen, you need to never downplay the disappointment. Paul's there going like, I'm disappointed. You think I want to be in prison in Rome under Nero? Like, I'm disappointed, but I am not going to allow my disappointment to define me. And that is the difference between hope in Christ and no hope at all. Paul's like, listen, I'm not going to allow my disappointment to ultimately define my destiny where I stay wallowing in it for too long, and it ultimately impacts the trajectory of my life. Scripture says, as you think in your heart, so you're going to become. One more thing I just want to tell you, and this is for somebody, radio, listening online, sometimes some of you can get stuck mentally in a season that God is trying to bring you out of, and you won't leave. 
You, you, you are so consumed by the disappointment. And all of it's legit. And if I sat down and heard your story, we'd probably cry over it. This is not demeaning it. But you've been so victimized. You've wallowed in it for so long. You've allowed it to define every part of your life. And so now God is trying to move you through and out of and onto the other side. And you won't leave it behind. And Paul says, I've experienced disappointment, but I've never let it define me. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to be in want. Or, or in plenty, I should say. I know what it is to be in need and want, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I know what it is to be in a place where, where everything's going well and God is answering the prayers and there's all this activity in my life. I know what, what that's like. And can we just say this real quick? In most cases, you're in dual seasons. For most of you, it's not one or the other. It's not that clean. In one area of your life, you are waiting on God and nothing's happening. But then if you'll see it, there's other areas of, of your life where there's plenty. But the problem is when you're in an area where you're waiting for something and you've been waiting for a while is that starts to dominate and overshadow the areas where God has come through and where God has provided plenty. Last thing on this. The key, and you see this in other parts of his writings, the key to pre-eating, the key to moving into a season where you are waiting, where there's adversity, the key to being at a place where you're prepared for that happens in the seasons of plenty. The seasons of plenty set you up for the seasons where you're in a place where you want and God seems inactive. And come on, at some level in the seasons of waiting in this one area, it can be easier. Because you get in your mind, if just this could happen, if this could be healed, if this marriage could come through, if they could stop, if they could change, if the business would get off the ground, then I would be okay. And your hope is directed toward that place of I'm going to be okay. But sometimes you get into the waiting and you find out you have waited and it's not going to happen and there's no thing in front to go, if I just get this, I'm, I'm going to be okay. It's not going to happen. See, the only thing more crushing than waiting on God is getting what you have poured your life into and realizing that it wasn't what you thought it was. And so he says, I, I've learned when things were going great and the trend lines are up and to the right, I've learned to be content and it's prepared me for the seasons when I'm in need and I'm waiting and God is not answering and I didn't sell out. I didn't confuse the supply with the source. And I realized that in all of those things, Jesus is enough and Jesus is better. And then he says this, I love this, I gotta move quick. I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And Paul reaches outside, I think this is fascinating, biblical literature and actually reaches into a secular context and grabs a Greek word that he doesn't use anywhere else. And the Greek word is actually in the context of, of mysticism or cultic mysticism representing like initiation into a cult, which is what some of you thought Christianity was anyway. But here, here's his point. Every time Paul uses a word he doesn't use anywhere else, it's to get people's attention. And he's basically like, like listen, I have found the secret and I've been initiated into the cult of contentment. Did anybody do fraternity, sorority in college? No? Okay, wow. Um, went to a Christian's college and they did a, uh, they call them Greeks. Because they think if they call them Greeks, nobody will drink or have sex. So they just, if you change the name. Um, sorry. Um, so he reaches outside and he says, basically, I've been initiated into the cult of contentment. Meaning, 
I have found something that few people ever find, ever realize, are ever a part of, and ever experience it in their life. Like, this is a big deal, and it is available, and you can find it. Like, I've been initiated into this kind of secret cult of contentment that's changed everything for me. And the question is, Paul, how did you get there? What is it? How did it happen? I mean, think about Paul's story. Religious leaders would come up on Paul and go, hey, listen, um, we're going we're gonna to kill you. Paul's like, ah, it'd be better to be with Christ. Oh, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to put you in prison. All right, I'll just write letters that will change the Western Hemisphere and launch the church to the world. Fine. Kill me, I'm going to be good. Leave me here, I got work to do for the Lord. Like he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was bitten by a snake. And at the end of it, he's like, I'm going to be good either way. Like, how do you get there? Like, Paul, how, how does that happen? And so he says this in verse 13. You, you know this verse. It is the most misinterpreted verse. Maybe That's a huge statement, but maybe in all of Scripture. This is the last thing. i got to rein it in. But this is where, like, we, we put little verses on coffee cups. Um, one really popular one is Habakkuk 1.5. I'm doing a great work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Put that on a coffee cup. And then several verses later, it talks about he's going to kill everybody. <laughs> like, just read all the way to the end until you start making merchandise. <laughs> Philippians 4. If you have one of those, no offense. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything. I can remain faithful when I'm waiting, and I don't know if God's going to come through or answer this prayer. I can remain faithful when I don't know if the marriage is going to be healed. I can remain faithful when I am hurting, and I don't know if it's going to get better. I'm going to remain faithful even when there's no good options moving forward, and I don't know if it's going to work out, and I don't know if they're going to come through, and I don't know if the dream is going to be realized, but I can do everything through him, through him who gives me strength. And if I could change this, go, go back for a second. Do everything through him who gives me his strength. And then real quick, go, go to this next slide, because this is what Paul's not talking about. Like Paul's like, he's sitting in prison, he's chained, he's writing this letter. Are you kidding me? And it's not, I'm sure, well-intentioned, but here's what... Here's where it's kind of been ripped out of context. Paul's not talking about winning in this context. He's talking about enduring. When Paul's writing this letter, this is about the relationship might be over. It may not move forward. You may not get better. The business may not survive. They may not turn around. They may not change. And Paul's just like, listen, if this is all you get, you lose the power and you miss the mystery and the secret. It is in those seasons when you wouldn't choose it and you don't know if you can go on. And there is so much chaos flying around around you. If you ever lean into this mystery of God's strength working through you. God can do something in you through you to where his power and his endurance and his strength literally flows through you in that season of waiting and in that season of adversity that you would never choose. It can happen and it is available. So where do you go from here? Like, How do you put this at street level? A couple things. You need to recognize for some of you, the first step for you is to recognize the disappointment that you feel. And your Heavenly Father, if you've ever placed your faith and trust in Christ, is inviting you into that. 
And then after you recognize, you need to move to a place to release, and this should be a whole message, but you need to move to a place where you release the anger, and you release the anxiety, and you release the stuff that is at some level maybe dominating you and frustrating you and kind of keeping you where you are, but at some point, you've got to get to the place where not where you're just laying down in the circumstances, but you are releasing because there is no control. And then once you release, you need to receive. In many cases, what God wants to do in and through you in this season is not going to happen until you release whatever you're holding on to. And the moment you release, God is able to put something else in your hand for you to be able to receive because God is working in your waiting. And can I say this other thing, this other application, is that you need to be willing to receive whatever help you need in this season. For some of you, the reason that you won't is maybe the very thing that God is working on, and that's your pride. Some of you, you need to get into counseling, and you need to stop your ridiculous views that were handed down from who knows what or you were taught in Sunday school. And you need to receive the help that God wants to give you in this season. And the thing that's keeping you from it is your pride. Some of you need to take a step and you need to get into next steps, which I talk about every week, because you need a community of believers. You need to be rooted in a local church. I know that's not popular anymore, but I'm just telling you, we are not in a place where we're suddenly sexy enough and smart enough to find another way. You need brothers and sisters who can walk with you during seasons, who can be in community with you, who can lift up your arms, who can encourage you. You need people you can open up to. And so you need to block off some dates for one month and go into next steps and find a way into community and receive what God wants to do and how God wants to work in your life during this period of time. I don't know what it is, but you need to get to the place where you can let go, you can receive, and then the last thing where you can remain. You need to, even when it seems pointless, your feelings betray you. Your heart betrays you. What you think God is doing and what God is actually doing in this season, you have no idea. And so even when it seems pointless and when even when it does seem like he is inactive and even when you do have this place where you're tempted to believe that he has forgotten, you need to remain faithful in this season. Not walk away, not walk out. But you have no ability to do that. And because you make some declaration today and yes, I'm gonna remain faithful. No, you won't. And so that's Paul's whole point is that you need to begin to lean in to go, God, teach me the secret and the mystery of you working through me, your power and your endurance through my life. Like here's, here's, how, I would, here's how I would define Paul's way forward for us is for you to just declare, I can't. And you can. You went to a cross willingly and you died and you walked out of a grave alive and you defeated death. You can in my circumstance. And you can through me. So you're in a place right now where you are single and you are tired of being single and you've experienced the other side of being single and that was more complicated and you have options right now, but they are all bad. And you're like, I can't any longer. And your heavenly father is going, no, you can't. But I can. And I can through you. You're in a place right now where, where you, are, you are afraid to go home at some level. 
and you drive into the driveway and you wait for the garage door to go up and there's so much tension and you're just over it and there's like three versions of them and you don't know which version you're going to get. You don't know how it's going to go down and you are crying out, God, I can't. I know you can't. I can't. And I can through you. You're in a place right now where, where you are you're diagnosed and there is treatment, but there's not a cure. And, and God, I, I just, I cannot do this. And it's like, I know you can't do it, but I can. And I can through you. Maybe you're at a place right now where God has placed a dream on your heart. There's something that he has for you. It is God's will, but you are so afraid. You are so overrun by anxiety. And you're like, I'm not the man. I'm not the woman. I can't do it. And God's like, you can't do it but I can do it, and I can do it through you. You're miserable right now without him or her, and yet you know it is not God's will for you to move back into that relationship, and you are in this really uncomfortable in-between and waiting, and there's no options. You're like, God, how long can I be here? What is the way forward? I cannot do this. And he's like, you can't do it. I can, and I can through you. Or maybe you're just at a place right now where your career is at a dead end and you are right on the verge of what you have never considered before to do something unethical, to misprioritize some things for your family, to try to move yourself out of it. And you're like, I just, I cannot deal with this anxiety, with this stress, these unknowns any longer. I can't. And your Heavenly Father says, You can. And I can. And I can through you. It is the mystery. Christ in you. And if you're like, I don't quite understand that, I don't quite understand it. But I know if you are ever awakened to it, and if you ever lean into it, it is a reality in your life. It is not theoretical that God, when you place your faith and trust in him, moved all of his power, his endurance, his strength. And come on, the power that raised Christ from the dead inside of you, that is a lot of power. And so as we finish, I think you need to get up every single day and you need to yell this if you need to, do it. It's weird, it's fine. You need to find a place by yourself. You need to write it on your mirror. You need to put it on your car. You need to get one of those ridiculously large post-it notes and put it somewhere in your house. And you every morning need to go, God, I can't. Acknowledge what you've already known. You just need to acknowledge it to the right source. I can't, but God, I'm gonna declare that you can I can't, but you can. I cannot do this, but you can do this. And then every night you need to put this on something. You need to remind yourself. You need some kind of alarm on your phone where you just get maybe on your knees and pray. Teach me the mystery of Christ in me. God, I believe it. I want to experience it. One of the things I've told you before, I pray every morning, and, th and there is something to it, is God, take me today, and I want your love to flow through me. I want your grace to flow through me. I want your patience to flow through me. I want your life today to take over and be lived through me. And I'm telling you, when you are ever awakened to that, and I can't do it for you, something happens, and you look back on seasons of your life, you look back on things where you responded certain ways to go, how did I do that? That's not even me. And you realize it's not you. It's the secret, it's the mystery of Christ working through you. So God, I can't, you can, teach me the mystery of Christ in me. And then kind of the final summary, and this, this should become your prayer, it's going to be on the app. God, teach me the secret of contentment. Christ in me, empowering me. 
I'm just telling you, God can, even when you can. And so right now as we close, I want you to think about that thing, that area, that circumstance where you are most tempted to be discontent. What is it? What's that area where you are most tempted to be discontent? It's that thing that you can't change. It's that circumstance. And here's what I want you to know. And at some level, this is uncomfortable and not emotionally satisfying, but it's just true. That that area that's at the forefront of your mind, that is the epicenter, I'm telling you. That is the epicenter of God's greatest potential to do his greatest work in your life. And you would never choose it. This is the thing where Paul is in prison and God does something great through Paul, but it's Paul's, Paul in prison that launches his ministry to the world. It's Jesus falsely accused and condemned that launches salvation for the world. And as we close this one more time, listen to me, you have no idea. You have no idea what God wants to do and what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful and lean into Christ's power in you during this season of waiting. But here's what I know. Freedom is available to you. It's the whole point of the scriptures and the good news, and the means is contentment, and it is only found in Jesus. So all over the house, stand with me right now. And as we close in prayer, I, I want to invite you, if you're online, if listening on radio, some of you, there's something about physical declarations that, that just do something and align your heart. Some of you, as I pray, you need to lift up your hands symbolically maybe as just a declaration of God. I, I cannot do this and I need you. And right now, this is my moment where I'm just going to declare once and for all, I can't. I cannot. Whatever you're faced with, whatever the disillusionment, disappointment, or waiting is, you declare right now, I, I can't, I'm surrendering to you, I need you, and I am believing right now, even if I don't feel it, you can. And you can through me. So all over the house, if that's you, lift up your hands right now, and I want to pray with you and for you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your gospel. It is unbelievable good news. And right now, we don't have the power to change anything or any circumstances. We sit here and we pray to you, but you do. And more than that, you are able to invade and work in this circumstance right now in a way that we don't have the ability. And it seems impossible, but you are the God of impossibility. And so right now, Lord, even for those of us who just with our hands lifted in the air are wanting to declare and align our heart with what we declare and what we surrender, right now, God, as you listen, as you hear, as you lean in, we just want to tell you we can't, and we acknowledge we can't. We do not have it in us. And we also acknowledge by faith you can. The God who raises the dead with a word, who commands nature and nature obeys him, the God who gives sight to the blind, you can. And you can through us. And so right now, God, we surrender, we lean in. And my prayer is for the, the thousands of people who are listening in some form or another and the people who are in this room is that for a bunch of them, you would awaken them to this reality in a way that I can't do it. And that they would learn the mystery and the secret of Christ in them working through them, even in this waiting. And we pray all of this in the incredible, life-giving, sustaining, enduring, power-giving name of Jesus. Amen.